It's the dead of winter, and you're looking to escape somewhere warm soon as possible, possibly for spring break. What are you going to take for fish and tackle? We're going to talk about that and more on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey, thinkers, Lachance here. Thanks so much for joining in on our first post-holiday uh, podcast. I guess technically it's our second post-holiday podcast of the year. Hopefully you had a great holiday season. Uh, don't know where you are in the country, but if you're anywhere near where I live, which is northern Colorado, it's been cold. And I mean cold, like like brutal cold. Uh, way colder than normal. My wood stove's been burning for like four days straight, going through some hardwood, just keeping the house warm. Been doing a bunch of cooking uh enjoying some time with friends and family but hey holidays are gone we're headed for spring now as soon as uh, as soon as last holiday's over i start thinking spring and uh to that end i just booked another trip to florida which i do every spring going to go down and do some snook fishing some redfish maybe some sea trout probably some inshore groupers maybe some gags or black groupers up against the the shoreline in the winter time so it's going to be a really fun trip as it always is i always enjoy going down there to fish and Florida's my home stomping grounds. I've uh, been in Colorado for a little over half my life, but was in Florida for a little under half my life as well, back and forth over the years. Lived in both places back and forth. So uh, it's a common email we get because we travel so much, and I, people know I have a saltwater background. Uh, it's a pretty common email for me that, you know, I'm going to visit my grandma in Florida, or I'm going to Florida for spring break, and maybe a business conference, maybe you're going to something in Orlando, uh, maybe going down to the Texas coast for spring break. But the, the email I get commonly is, I want to take some tackle, but this is not a fishing trip. I'm not, this is not a trip booked for fishing. It's a, it's a trip booked for other things, but I'm going to be on the coast and I'd like to do some fishing. Well, that's something I totally understand. And when I used to work at Sportsman's Warehouse back in the day, uh, who is still, of course, our title partner and who brings you this podcast every week for uh, since 2004, I worked with or, or uh, as, as a team member with those guys, so it's been a long time. But when I worked in the shop day in and day out, I used to get people coming in on a regular basis. I'm going to Florida. I need to buy a few things. What can I take? Or I'm going to you know, South Carolina, wherever the case might be, people escaping the cold. So... I figured we ought to take a few minutes and address how simple you can pack and catch just about everything that that uh, you might have a chance for uh, down there without bringing a whole bunch of equipment. And I'm going to start this off by saying you do not need to go buy a bunch of specialized equipment. Now, our promotional partners would love to tell you, yeah, yeah, you got to have you know specific saltwater equipment. I'm going to tell you right now, you don't have to have it. I'm not going to tell you you won't benefit by having it because as was always the case, better tackle will catch you more fish. There's without question about that. You know, a lot of people tell me, well, I catch plenty of fish with my, you know, whatever Walmart special. That's fine. Good for you. But I promise if you use better tackle, you'll catch more fish. But it is not required that you have to go buy a bunch of stuff to go fish a couple days on a seawall in Florida somewhere. Now, having said that, I want to throw out a couple of caveats here. First and foremost, and this is a big one, whatever reel you take, there's a high probability if it is not a saltwater specific reel that it will not survive the encounter with saltwater. 
what you need to do to give it the best possible chance is make sure the reel is clean before you go down there. And I'm assuming you're going to take one of your, you know, standard whatever reel that you have laying around for for uh, for bass fishing or or pike fishing or whatever kind of fishing it is you like to do. Uh, you're going to take that reel with you to Florida, and it's probably a non-saltwater-specific reel. Uh, if it is not a sealed-bearing, uh, non-corrosive materials reel, like you might find in something like a pen or some of these saltwater-specific brand or reels, I should say, that Abu Garcia and a few other companies make, uh, Shimano and you know a few others, uh, if you don't use saltwater-specific reels, they're going to have a hard time. And the reason is salt corrosion. Uh, you're going to end up with what's known as bimetallic corrosion, where two metals that are not the same uh, have a catalyst to the reaction known as the saltwater. Uh, NaCl will make things go south in a hurry. So if you're going to take a regular reel, <clears throat> regular freshwater or something you might bass fish with, Make sure at every single time, as soon as you get back to wherever it is you're staying or get off the water, period, maybe you're just sticking it in your rental car and going for a drive, rinse that thing thoroughly, not with pressure water, but with fresh, clean water. And don't do what I did. Here's, this, here's a bonehead move one time I did. I was in, I was in fishing at Cajun Fishing Adventures in uh, Burris, Louisiana. Great guys. If, if you've ever had an opportunity to go down there and fish, uh, incredible group of people to fish with in an incredible fishery. Well, I came off the water and uh, had a great day, and I took my reels and went and said, well, there's, there's a big old swimming pool right here. I'll just swish them around in this swimming pool for a minute and then lean them up to dry. Well, I had not been in that swimming pool because it was April, and the water was cold in the pool even, and so I didn't get in it. I'm, a, I'm a, not a fan of cold swimming pools. It's got to be hot or I'm not swimming. I'm a Florida boy by nature. Uh, didn't get in the pool. Switched the rods around, switched the reels around. I should have shaped with the rods on them. Lead them up against the wall, let them dry in the sun. Didn't think anything about it. Went back the next morning to go fishing. Couldn't even turn the reel handles. Turns out it was a saltwater pool <laughs> instead of having chemicals in it. And I did not realize that. And I dunked my reels in it. And that's an extreme example of what will happen. But if you dunk your freshwater reel in saltwater or splash it, and then you let it sit, it's not going to be a happy reel. So rinse it thoroughly when you come off the water. And then if you can find it in your heart to do it, get a small can in a convenience store of WD-40 when you get to your location. WD-40 is not so much as a lubricant as it is a water displacer. And spray the reel down with it and it will displace all that. After you rinse the reel, it will displace all the water uh, that's in that reel and therefore will help your reel last a long time. So Back to my original point, you can bring your freshwater reels, but make sure you rinse them thoroughly immediately or they will not last you very long. So that's my caveat and my preachy part of this here deal. So from here on, what are we taking? Well, let's make it easy. Let's name some fish first. You, you, depending on where you're going, let's say you're going anywhere from Texas all the way around to say the Carolinas. I have no experience in, in coastal fishing in California, so I can't answer that. But I have been on the west coast of Mexico and Costa Rica, as well as extensively on the east coast of Mexico. And so this information would apply to all of the above, as far as that goes, okay? For me, it's going to come down to first, what am I going to throw? That's always what we preach to choose first, is what am I going to throw? So let's start there and go, go from there. Now, I'll also be the first to tell you, you do not have to have live bait. A lot, you walk any walk into any bait shop in Florida, and I literally mean just about any bait shop in Florida, and ask them, 
What should I throw? And they are all going to tell you the same thing. You need some shrimp. Okay, absolutely. You can catch a ton of fish on shrimp. In fact, you'll catch fish all day long on real shrimp. And I'm talking about either live shrimp or frozen shrimp, depending on what you're fishing for. I'm not a bait guy, so I don't do that. So instead, I travel with gulp. And if you're a fan of Fishful Thinker at any level, whether it be the TV show, this podcast, whatever, you know that I throw a lot of gulp minnows because big fish eat little fish, and there is no better little fish than a gulp minnow. Well, here again on this podcast about completely unrelated fish of all kinds, I'm going to tell you the same thing. A 3-inch gulp minnow on an 8-ounce jig head or a 4-inch gulp minnow on a quarter-ounce jig head will catch you tons of fish in salt water. And I mean tons of fish in salt water, all kinds of fish. So, obviously, I'm going to bring some of those with me. So, what I do is I combine a bunch of bags into uh, of, the, of the minnows themselves. The little bags come with 10 or 12 minnows in them. I will combine those into a Plano Liquibate Locker, which is a sealed container that does not leak. And that gulp juice has got a nasty habit of escaping from whatever it's in. And it's a very viscous liquid, and it will get out of whatever, and then it will make your luggage smell bad. So those Plano Liquibate Lockers will keep it sealed up in there. Uh, And so I will put enough minnows to get me through however many days I think I'm going to fish in one of those little uh, containers, and then I will take that container and put it in a Ziploc bag along with a couple of paper towels. And then I will fold that up tight just in case and put it in another Ziploc bag and put it in my luggage. That way, if there's some issues with your luggage in the airline, uh, in terms of being at high elevation or unpressurized uh, baggage compartment, whatever the case might be, uh, it will the, any liquid that does ooze out of that uh, will get that paper towel and you'll know right away that it leaked. In my case, I've not had one of those leak yet, although anything is possible. So I put my minnows in that, package them up real tight, and that's what I fly with, quickly pointing out that you cannot carry them on the plane because they have more than three ounces of liquid in them. So they have to go in your checked bag. But I will typically bring a whole bunch of gulp minnows in three and four inch range, and they will be the smelt color, which is my standard deal. Uh, And then I'll bring some that are either fire tiger or chartreuse over white, something in a really bright color like that as well. Uh, Those are basically the two colors I travel with to go to salt water, to go fish in salt water. Another possibility as far as a a shape that I will bring would be the gulp shrimp, which incidentally, a three-inch gulp shrimp uh, in the new penny color, at least for years, was the number one selling individual gulp bait that that Berkeley produced. Now, I don't know if it still is. I haven't looked at the stats lately, but I can tell you that a gulp shrimp, a three-inch gulp shrimp, is a very potent bait as well. I like the minnow because I can be a little more active with it, but if the fish are really on the chow and you got redfish that are nose to the bottom and doing what they do, dragging that little shrimp along will get you tons and tons and tons of fish, and it's easy to fish. So those are basically the only two shapes I bring. Along the same lines, I bring only two, maybe three sizes of jig heads. Uh, I will bring an eighth ounce and I will bring quarter ounce. And those are going to be on Fusion 19 swim bait heads. And the reason those are on the swim bait heads as opposed to say the half head or some of the other Fusion 18 heads that Berkeley makes is the swim bait heads have a beefier hook. And that's the single biggest thing you're going to need is a little bit beefier hook because fish are going to have really bony mouths. 
A lot of them are going to pull pretty hard, and uh, the hook is going to be important far more so than it is in freshwater situations. Um, so I'll bring those jig heads. I will bring enough of those jig heads that I can get me through uh, understanding that if I need to swing and get some jig heads locally, I can or whatever the case might be. But I'll try to bring uh, maybe a couple dozen total jig heads for, a, say, a week-long fishing trip. And then maybe five bags of minnows in each size and or maybe three bags of minnows in each size and then maybe a couple of bags of gulp shrimp. That will be almost all I will bring as far as the as far as what I'm gonna cast. The other thing I'll bring is for sure a Johnson Sprite spoon in somewhere between a half and three quarter ounce range. Uh, that will be gold chrome most commonly, but if I've got room in my luggage and I'm not up against my weight barrier for the airlines, then I might bring them in both gold and chrome. Um, and then maybe even a white one with a red front on it. And the reason being is if you're fishing the backwater areas uh, or inshore areas, particularly on an outgoing tide, you're going to have a lot of tannin in the water. And tannin makes the water look tea colored. It looks like a glass of iced tea. Well, that also makes all the bait fish take on that color. And so I will throw gold chrome in that scenario. Uh, or that's when I will throw the fire tiger or the chartreuse over white gold minnows. Um, Commercially, on the incoming tide, the water may be very clear, the classic, you know, crystal clear coastal stuff, at which point I'll go to silver chrome or smelt minnows, uh, depending on what bait I'm throwing. So I will throw those Johnson Sprite spoons, and the reason that particular spoon is they flutter far and wide for one. You can cast them a mile for two, and because they flutter so wide, I can retrieve them at a relatively low speed and keep them high in the water column still. I can also work them very fast and with some pauses and, and work whatever depth range I want. But if I need to work them slow, a lot of times that slow wobble right under the surface is fantastic. Working with a rod tip high and you can get redfish and sea trout and snook and everybody else to bite it. Fantastic bait uh, for, for flats fishing uh, particularly or casting along the beach a lot of times. Along those same lines, a Johnson Sprite spoon in pure chrome, which is very similar to a Castmaster if you're familiar with those, Another really good choice, particularly on the beach. I will throw that on the beach because I can throw it way out there for one, which I'm not generally concerned about, but when you're working the beaches, particularly on the west coast of Florida, they are very shallow. And a lot of times you'll see jacks or you know other fish that are out running the, the uh, ladyfish, other things like that. They're out run outside the swash channel, running up and down the beach, and big long throws can help you with those. And they'll all grab that shiny little spoon very easily. That, that Johnson Sprite will cast farther or excuse me, the uh, Johnson Splinter will cast farther than the Johnson Sprite. Like I said, the Splinter is basically very, very similar to a Castmaster. Um, good call there. And then the only other bait that I'm going to bring on almost any of these trips is going to be a jerk bait. And it's and for me, it's going to be a Berkeley Cutter 90 um, for saltwater applications. In fact, that bait was such a good saltwater bait that it was discontinued in freshwater and brought back into the saltwater lineup. Now, in my opinion, it was a very good freshwater bait as well, a very good freshwater bait, but uh, apparently the consumers didn't see it that way and therefore it did not did not hold up in the freshwater situation. But it, it was recognized in saltwater enough that consumers would run with it and it is a fantastic saltwater bait. The one thing there is I need water maybe in a four foot deep range or more before I start throwing a, a hard jerk bait around very much. So. Uh, but the, but a hard jerk bait will catch you everything, and, and I mean literally everything. Similar to the gulp minnow, it's just that I can work it faster. It's not a consumable item, meaning that I can throw the same one all day long. 
not an issue. Keep track of your hooks. <clears throat> Excuse me. Keep track of your hooks, the condition of your hooks, but you can throw the same bait all day long as opposed to gold minnows where you're going to burn some of them up. Um, but that, that's the only baits I'm going to throw. Uh, I'm going to even bring. So literally, it will all fit in a single 3700 Plano tackle box, um, and then the minnows will go in the bag, as I pointed out separately, in the little container, uh, the liquid liquid lockers that Plano makes. And so that's it as far as lures go. Now that doesn't that now obviously there are other things I could throw, right? I could bring a lot of things, but the point is how little of tackle can I take down there? And if I'm really limited and I really only want to have a very small amount of tackle, I'm gonna take a half dozen jig heads and a bag or two of goat minnows and I'm going fishing. And in that case they're gonna be the eighth ounce jig heads on the three inch minnow because I can catch anything from snappers on the seawall to big snook on a mangrove edge. And yes, big snook will bite that three inch gulp minnow. One of the bigger snook I've ever caught bit a three inch gulp minnow pitched up against a mangroves. And I think as, as well as I want to point out one of the largest tarpon I've ever hooked bit a three inch gulp minnow on an eighth ounce jig head. So just because it's a little bait doesn't mean it doesn't have excellent uh, bite generation abilities, especially in clear water because big old tarpon will eat it because it's easy to catch. Same with a snook. Uh, so don't don't discount yourself. But if I really want to limit the amount of tackle I'm going to take, it's literally going to be a, a, a box of eight ounce jig heads and some three inch gold minnows. And I could fish anywhere in Texas, Florida, you know, the Carolinas. Uh, done the same thing, casting rock, casting off the rocks in Costa Rica and catching a whole slew of groupers and needlefish and jacks and little rooster fish and the whole nine yards. So and that's standing there, literally standing on the rocks casting. Same thing in Quintana Roo in Mexico, casting off the rocks south of Tulum. Uh, all kinds of fish on that little three-inch gold minnow. So that's the easiest answer of all. Now, let's step away from the baits a little bit. And, and as always, guys, if you have questions about this podcast, send me an email at chat at fishfulthinker.com. I will be also happy to answer your email if you need clarification on any of these points. So back to, back to away from the baits here. The next thing that the difference in rigging is going to be, as we're just going to work our way up from the lure, uh, is going to be you're going to need a fluorocarbon leader, uh, some sort of a bite leader. A high percentage of saltwater fish have sharp teeth. A even higher percentage of saltwater fish have really sharp gill covers and um, or or various spines on their body. And so you de- you definitely need to have a fluorocarbon leader. If you run straight braided line or straight monofilament line, unless it's very heavy, which is going to limit your, your bites in terms of the mono goes, you're not going to be able to fish it well, you're going to have some problems. So for me, it's going to be typically a 30-pound uh, Berkeley Prospect 100% fluorocarbon leader. And it is the true leader material because that stuff is very dense, very hard, and very abrasion resistant. Uh, which means that you have a chance at landing a higher percentage of your fish. You'll still get bit off with 30 pound occasionally, but you won't get bit off on a regular basis with it. And uh, something like a kudo will cut you off for sure. Uh, but you need to get up to the wire stuff to get to be able to deal with barracudas. And we're not going to take anything quite that specialized. Having said that, you can buy it at any tackle shop in Florida if you need it. But for me, it's going to be a 30-pound. If it's a luxury trip where I've got room to bring a little bit more tackle, I'll typically bring like 30 and 50. And if I'm getting around a bunch of big snook, uh, particularly the big snook, I'll go ahead and step up to 50-pound, particularly with the jig, because they have a big, giant mouth. And they'll suck that big, they'll suck that jig in, 
And then that leader will be rubbing on their lips. And they don't have teeth, but they have very abrasive lips. And they have very sharp gill covers. And so between the two, they'll cut you off. So I will use the heavy fluorocarbon leader there. So I'll bring two spools of, if I can. If I can only bring one, I'll bring 30 or 40 pound. And that'll, that'll tie that off. That'll be a short fluorocarbon leader, maybe a foot long or a little more at the most. Uh, it'll be tied with a double uni knot and it will be tied to straight 20 pound braid. And now again, I'm trying to oversimplify this. So in a perfect world, I would probably bring 15 and 30 pound braid. We're not in a perfect world. We're not on a fishing trip. We're on a vacation. So we're bringing one kind of braid and that's going to be straight 20 pound braid. Uh, easy answer is get spider wire DuraBraid. I started fishing that a year and a half ago. That stuff is extremely durable uh, in terms of abrasion resistance and all that. And that's really what I'm looking for. It holds knots and it's great for abrasion. And one of the things in saltwater you'll find is all the rocks have barnacles and oysters and all that kind of thing on them. So it's they're far, far more abrasive than rocks you might find at my home reservoir here in Colorado that are jagged enough as it is be, without growing you know, barnacles and mussels all over them. So uh, I'm going to throw a 20-pound uh, spider wire dura braid on there. And then from there, I'm going to attach it to a 6'6 to 7-foot medium-heavy spinning rod. And the reason a spinning rod is I can throw, even though it's a medium-heavy rod, I can still throw that 8-ounce jig head with the three inch gold minnow on it very easily. But because it's medium heavy, it's got enough backbone to deal with, with snook and, and all of that. And just for the record, I have traveled extensively with six foot six medium heavy Abbe Garcia Veritas freshwater rated two piece spinning rods. I've had them in Alaska catching 50 inch pike. I've had them in the Keys catching big old huge barracudas uh, and, and sharks and everything else on them. Those, those rods will hold up uh, very, very well. And so that's what I bring. I bring a six foot six medium heavy spinning rod and I can catch big fish with it, but I can cast little lures with it. That's why I don't bring casting tackle. That's why I don't bring this, the lighter rod set up for the jig, which again, normally in freshwater, I would preach that you throw that eight ounce gold minnow um, on a medium light or medium power rod, but we aren't in freshwater. We're talking saltwater. We're going to need more backbone to stop fish because the other thing that's going to happen is you're probably going to be standing on the bank uh, on a seawall or you know the corner of a bridge or a little canal or something like that, which means you're not going to be able to follow your fish or pull them into open water like you are with a boat. You're going to have to pull them to the structure you're on, which means you need some beef in your system to do that. And and you try to land a you know a 30 inch snook uh, on the bank, and you'll see what I mean. They are a handful. They make a 30 inch walleye look like a joke, and just so you're aware, or a 30 inch pike even more of a joke. So. You have to have enough beef to do that. And the medium heavy spinning rod, the 20 pound braid will do it. And then from there, we're going to the reel, the reel itself. For me, the reels are kind of all over the place. I've brought saltwater specific reels, freshwater specific reels. These days I bring pen reels, pen spin fishers in one size larger than I would normally bring or normally use in fresh water. And the reason being is the larger the diameter of the spinning reel gets, the bigger the drag surface gets. And the bigger the drag surface gets, the cooler it will be for a given amount of drag that's being pulled. And when you hook something like a five pound bonefish, which is admittedly is a big bonefish, but you hook him on that medium power rod, he, or medium heavy power rod, he is gone. He's going to take off and head for Cuba at a full rate of speed and 
you're not going to be able to stop him. If you lean on him hard enough to stop, he'll literally break your, your leader or something off. You're going to have to let the fish run. You'll, you'll destroy something on the fish or your tackle. If you try to stop him, they will run. So because they're so strong, uh, I want to be able to let that drag work and do what it does, and therefore a big drag surface is better. So uh, like a size 30, where I would normally have a size 20 or a size 3,000, and you're talking about pens, but I'm going to step it up one size in diameter uh, of, the, of the spool on the spinning reel from what I would normally throw in fresh water. So perhaps you have a couple of spinning rods, take your biggest spinning reel, even though your whole situation may be slightly out of balance. Again, we're trying to Band-Aid. We're using tackle you have. Uh, rather than going and buying specific tackle. If you're going to go buy specific tackle, go buy an inshore uh, medium-heavy rod, understanding that a medium-heavy rod in an inshore is going to be a little bit stiffer than a medium-heavy freshwater rod that you're typically used to. But go buy an inshore rod and put an inshore reel on it specifically, and I would look straight to pen for that and uh, and go from there. Now, there's a couple things about carrying your stuff. Um, I put all my stuff in a cardboard tube. I did not go buy a specific rod tube. Obviously, you can do that. Companies make them. Uh, I have just a shipping tube that a rod was shipped to me in. I cut it down. I sealed one end permanently. Um, we just taped it all up and made it where airlines can't get into it easily and padded that end, left it a little bit long, put extra padding in the two ends because if somebody drops it, some baggage handler drops it somewhere, it's going to be hit on one end or the other. So I want to make sure it's long enough that when my rod's in there, it's got an inch of padding at both ends. I put some high-density foam in there, and that'll keep it from getting broke. Um, and then that's what I carry through the airport. Now, the reason I keep rods under seven feet is depending on the airline, most of them, your stuff has to be 42 inches or less, or they won't let you carry it on the plane at all. You'll have to check it. And I like to carry my rods on the plane. So by bringing six and a half foot Veritas rods, like I told you, those are short. And then my rod tube is short enough that I can carry it on the plane. I typically will bring two rods and two reels because I don't want to go to some place like Florida and then break a rod um, or have a reel fail, drop it on the pavement, whatever you do, uh, and have that be an issue. So I always bring two of them. Um, and that's just how I do it. Two rods will fit easily in a tube that's three and a half inches in diameter. Cut them in half. And then I always want to have a towel with me. If you guys are fans, I have a little tiny towel always hanging on my hip, if you notice, on my left side all the time. Because you fish with gulp, you get slime on your hands. You get you catch fish, you get slime on your hands. You get sand on your hands. You get salt water on your hand. All that stuff. And so I constantly will clean my hands. I use that towel as the padding at the other end of my tube. So I drop the rods in, stuff the towel in and around the tip of those, seal the tube, and then I wire it shut with, with uh, just a couple of twist ties. The airline will not let you lock it anymore. Uh, so I just wire it shut so it cannot accidentally open. That's what I travel with. The only other thing I bring is a really good quality pair of pliers, the same Berkeley 7-inch aluminum pliers I've been carried for like a decade and a half now. I still carry, um, and they're strapped to my hip. They'll be on my right hip all the time. Those go with me as well. That's it. Um, that's all the stuff I need. And so I can catch a lot of fish with that stuff. So we're talking about, if you, let's say you take the rods out of the equation. We're talking about a reel that weighs three quarters of a pound. We're talking about maybe a pound or a little more of total tackle itself. Um, and then the rod tube, and that's it. So if you've got 50 pounds in your luggage and, and your fishing tackle takes up three, maybe four of it, uh, you still got plenty of room. And then you carry your rods on and uh, as your personal item and a carry-on item. And that's how I get 
all around the country uh, with my rods and reels. It's very simple to do, and you can go from there. Now, I've also asked, or I've been asked, I should say, can I just get there and go to some tackle store and, and buy some cheap tackle and do what I want? Yeah, absolutely you can. The reason I'm not a fan of that is, for one, you don't know what you're getting. Two, you're taking time out of your vacation to go shopping for fishing tackle, which I would prefer not to do. So for me, it usually is a matter of getting the rental car, get out of the airport, get in the rental car, get all my stuff, immediately put my rods and reels together, get it all together, put all of it together, and have be ready to fish immediately. So the first place I see water, I can pull over and fish. I get my fishing license ahead of time online. As soon as I see water, I can pull over fish and, and, and get my vacation started. And I'm known as a gypsy fisherman for that. I will leave my rods rigged and ready to go driving all over the state of Florida, and I will fish anything that looks even remotely fishy because almost all of it's public, uh, and I will get after fish all over by doing that up and down the coast of Florida. And so I want to get my stuff to, together. I don't want to have to go hunt down a store and buy stuff and, and whatever. I know what I'm getting. I'm familiar with my equipment. And again, I didn't have to buy anything special for it. So pretty simple, guys. The only other thing I bring always is sunglasses. I uh, always have my coasters on. doesn't matter if I'm going to Florida or anywhere else. They always go with me. But Florida or Texas or inshore fishing in general is very sunglass intensive. Make sure you have high quality sunglasses. For me, it's a Costas 580G in green mirror uh, and a good frame that wraps around my whole face. And that's going to be the end of what I bring. So hopefully that information helps you. Hopefully you do, uh, if you're going to the coast somewhere, pack a little bit of tackle. It's not really a big deal to pack it. And uh, you might find that even if you don't know what kind of fish you're catching, you'll have a great time catching them. And I'm going to end with one quick warning. Be very, very careful with how you handle whatever it is you catch because there's poisonous fish, there's fish that will bite you. Snappers got their name for a reason. I have a scar on my palm because a 10-inch long mangrove snapper bit me on the palm because I turned my kind of back to him for a minute without paying attention, had him sitting on the boat, and he latched onto my hand. And they don't let go. I'm going to point that little detail out if they get a hold of you. And so needlefish will bite you. Snook will cut you with their gill covers. Be careful with their gill covers. You know, it just depends on the fish you're dealing with, but they may bite you or whatever. So that hand towel can also be used to handle fish, or you can also use a, a gripper of some sort, some kind of a fish gripper. I've actually got a plastic one that, that works pretty good. Uh, the guys at Line Cutters make one that work pretty good um, that is non-metallic, easy to fly with, doesn't weigh anything. You can throw that in as well if you're worried about it. I'm familiar with the fish and how to handle them, and so I can usually get away without it. Um, but if certainly if barracudas or something like that are on the radar, um, mackerels of some sort, then you, a, a gripper of some kind will, will help you out a whole bunch. So... That's it, guys. But like I said, if you have specific questions on any of this, let me know. I would be oh so happy to answer them for you. Uh, inshore fishing is my first love. Snook are my favorite fish of all, despite what you might see or hear on Fishful Thinker Television. We don't do a ton of snook fishing because they're a long ways away, but I grew up in Jupiter, Florida, where snook is king, and... Uh, and they're my favorite fish of all. So if you have questions about any of that, let me know. Again, you can email me, chat at Fishful Thinker at any point. Also, real quick, call this a gratuitous plug, but if you're a Colorado person you're coming to Colorado, we are now booking for the 2023 guide season. I'll be handling as much of that as I can personally. I've got a brand new Ranger Z521R that I haven't even seen yet sitting at Crowley Marine in Denver. 
uh, just came into town from Ranger Factory, so they're working on that, and uh, would love to host you guys for a guide trip. You can get information on that at fishfulthinker.com, and we would appreciate that. Otherwise, bop in your local sportsman's warehouse, grab a few things, and uh, I think you'll be oh so ready to go saltwater fishing. So we appreciate you listening. Please join the conversation of all things Fishful at Fishful Thinker on Instagram. Facebook, or of course our YouTube channel, and you may be listening to this podcast there. But we appreciate you listening, and this has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.